talking to a couple of you uh, so far today, and it sort of seems that the boundary between speechwriters and journalism is fluid. There's a few of you uh, who study journalism, some of you who have gigs in both, but I think I'm the only full-time, I'm the only one here in the room with his full gig is, is journalism, and Brian uh, thought it might be fun just after lunch as a digestion to have me sort of um, opine to you about what it's like to be the end user of your of your output. Uh, because in a sense, uh, I think I am the end user. You really, I mean, you write speeches, so people give the speeches to an audience or the public. And then often in the audience, there will be some journalists who then filter it, do something with it, and then amplify it to an even wider public if, if things go well. Um, uh, now, I saw in my career at The Economist, I've been 17 years. It turns out that, in fact, yes, a very large part of my job, especially in the current one, as Germany correspondent uh, uh, you know, of, of the country Germany, I moved there two years ago. A very large part of my job is, in fact, just going uh, to speeches, listening to speeches, uh, uh, especially of politicians. For 17 years, I've been at The Economist, but I, I started in London. I went to Hong Kong, covered East Asia, so I did a lot of, uh, heard a lot of Chinese speeches, East Asian, Korean, Japanese speeches. Then I lived uh, for quite a long time in California, first in Silicon Valley, where I listened to more of the, of the, the Google, the Facebook, that kind of speaking culture. Then moved to LA to cover the Western states, and again, that started when I was mainly listening to politicians again. And then since for the past two years, um, I've been in Germany. Uh, what, initially, I was tempted to, to try to get, uh, tell you what my observations uh, in, 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 this, in the front row of these speeches was about the styles, the national styles, the Chinese, the German, the American, the British. But I realized we would very quickly get into the quagmire of cliches, and I wouldn't be able to extricate myself from that again. So I thought I'd do something a bit different and just go uh, tell you about four politicians in Germany that I've been observing uh, of the many for the past two years. And of course, the main one will be Angela Merkel, uh, uh, because I really, I mean, I, I really try to go as often as, as possible in person to whenever she speaks, whether large or small, or whether she, so often she launches a book for a, some another politician and just gives a little speech, you know, this sort of thing. Um, and because I think there might be some less surprising lessons, maybe not surprising for you pros, but at least for me, because there's something about her style that has been puzzling me for quite a while. Um, and I know she's very famous, so you'll know her. But I want to sort of quickly start with three other um, German politicians that may be less familiar to you, except for the few Germans in the room, and I know there are some. In fact, there's a speechwriter for the governor of uh, Schleswig-Holstein here. And, so at least, at least you will know all three. And uh, they will be Gregor Gysi, uh, Sigmar Gabriel, and um, uh, Joachim Gell, the president. But before, before we get to those, uh, and this, it's going to be quickly through, through those three and then on to Angela Merkel. And the uh, idea that I sort of came to this with was actually also uh, taken from my book. It's about tactics and strategy in speech-making, if you will. <coughs> Part of the book I wrote was about tactics and strategy, not just in war, but in life or in other areas of life. Um, and 
it, a lot has been written about tactics and strategy where it is, but essentially tactics, you can think of it as winning the battles, the way Hannibal the Carthaginian once did. Strategy is winning the wars, which Hannibal the Carthaginian did not, but the Romans did. Um, so in, in these, for these speakers, I sometimes think, and in, in, in terms of this uh, framework in my mind, is, it, you know, is this tactics, is this strategy, is this working, is it not working, does it look like it's working, but it's not really working? So here we go. Now, last year we had a journey, so we're going to move on to number one, is Gregor Gysi. And, and I'm sure you probably don't know him if you're not from Germany. And last year we had an election campaign in Germany, and when it was over, there was a vote of, I forget who, but the public, in a poll or something, and they said, who is the best speaker in Germany? And the answer was Gregor Gysi. Um, Gregor Gysi is a bald, small man. He was a lawyer in East Germany. He's an East German, like three of the people I'll be speaking about. Um, and he he's the parliamentary leader of the left, Die Linke, which is a party that, this may surprise those of you from further afield, uh, descends by a few name changers from the SED, the Communist Party of East Germany. To me, it's always surprising that they're still around at all, but they're still around, and they're, especially in East Germany, they have their niche. He is the speaker for them, and he's voted the most successful. And I have to say, even though, he, what, what is the left for nowadays? They're anti-capital still, they're, they still pine after Marx, they're anti-NATO, often anti-EU, they're flirting with being pro-Vladimir Putin, pro-Russian, that's a bizarre one, they can't necessarily explain that, but that's just an instinct, they're anti-American, there's all of this going on. Uh, from my point of view, and the economist's point of view, they're a freak show, but even <laughs> expect me to sympathize, I do have time for Gregor Gysi, because it's just fun when he comes up to the podium, especially if you keep listening to some of the other speakers I'll be talking about, uh, in contrast, because he is quick, he sounds spontaneous, although I believe he often isn't, because I think that's rehearsed, but he sounds conversational, he is sometimes funny, he has, he's always clear, you know exactly what his points are. You learn something. Even if it's wrong, you learn something. Um, uh, yes, there's that clarity. There's that punch. And there are these memorable phrases that people like you write. Um, so maybe at the very end, we, uh, or with Graham's help, we come back to just revisiting these people. But um, tactics and strategy. He really is the best speaker. But here's the thing to contemplate. This party that he leads in the parliament is at 9% in the polls and has been there for as long, you know, for years. No movement at all. So you gotta wonder, is that working for him? Or, but, but I really mean it, you've gotta wonder, is it working for him or is it working for the party? What's the point of his speechifying, of his speech making? So that was the first, that was, I, I chose him because he's considered the best. The, the second one is an interesting one that I'm keeping an eye on Especially, uh, gone through a lot of his events the past couple of weeks, especially, Zygmunt Gabriel. And you should be interested in him too, even if you haven't heard of him yet, because he's probably going to run against Merkel the next time for chancellor. He is the leader of the Social Democrats, that is the center-left party. But he is also, therefore, the coalition partner of Angela Merkel, because those two parties are together. So he is in government. He is also the vice chancellor. So if 
she had an accident or got shot today, and he would be chancellor this afternoon. He's also the minister of energy, a very big portfolio, and of the economy, very big portfolio. So he's, a, he's right up there, and that puts him in an interesting strategic position. If, you, if, you, if you're a speechwriter, so what is he trying to do? He has to do several things, at least two, at the same time. One is to be a good, reliable governing partner, because he is governing, and he has these big portfolios. If he screws something up, if he's weird. See, that was one difference to Gizi already. Gizi is sort of a court gesture. I think in his mind, he knows the left is at 9%. I'm here to tell jokes, or to talk to that 9%. Well, Gabriel has to try to be responsible, Otherwise, he would launch uh, international crises. But at the same time, to come out from under, from under her field, energy field, because they have to distinguish themselves in three years and run against each other. You see? It's a very difficult task. And he is also interesting for you to watch because he's an excellent speaker. I've seen him ad hoc and in prepared speeches. He reads speeches, but he reads them sounds spontaneous. He uh, does little sort of, uh, you know, side movements as if he's dancing, a uh, bit of humor also, and also very, very clear. Very memorable phrases. I could quote several to you from memory, which is an interesting sign if two weeks after something I heard after a speech by him, you, uh, by somebody, you can still quote a few phrases. I could in this case. Fantastic speaker. But in a very variation on the theme with Gizi, the SPD, which in the post-war years, the 60s, 70s, 80s, was often at 40% in the polls. They're exactly where they were when they essentially lost a year ago to Merkel, 25%, no movement at all. So, so you've you got to wonder, his speechwriter and Gabriel, are they doing it right? Uh, is it working for them? You know, what's, what's the goal of the speeches? What's, what are they achieving? What are they not achieving? So let's go to the third. Uh, person, we're rapidly approaching Merkel, I know you're, you're waiting for her probably, but um, Joachim Gauck, I find him interesting um, for a number of reasons, uh, I've been following him very closely as well, he is the president, he's the head of state, not the head of government, that's Merkel, and that in Germany is a largely ceremonial position, although not as much as the Queen Britain, or the, the uh, British Queen for instance, he is supposed to stay not out of, but above politics. He is sort of the conscience of the nation, not get involved in operational politics, but he can set the scene. And he's an interesting personality. Um, he's also East Germany, East Germany. And I said there was three or four were East German. Um, he was a pastor. He's a preacher. And he has that personality. You can very much tell that he likes to preach, he likes to sort of stage himself as the conscience, as the moral conscience of, of, of a nation. And um, his style is also very emotional, he gets very teary. And my theory is that, um, number two, because he went through the East German experience, and because he's aware of the deficit of being German in the world, and how people view the Germans, he wants to see in a way, this is my, my take on it, extra un-German, but you know, he wants to seem extra emotional, human, approachable, spontaneous, because that's not necessarily the way a lot of people uh, view Germans. And for him, it's, in his role, it's 
especially important always to hit the right note. He cannot spark unintended controversies. That would, for him and his speechwriter, be failure, because that's not the goal. But he must find, even in difficult situations, to sort of weave a, a path. For example, he went to Israel in his first year. That's maybe the hardest place for a German politician to give speech in, because of all the, the past and sensitivities. Did that very well. He just struck the right tone. And you know, he's done a number of these sort of keynote speeches. And themes have come up. For him, with his East German biography, freedom is one. He wants to almost lecture the Germans about freedom, remind them of that, and picks fights, including with the left, over it, which is unusual for a president. His predecessors haven't done it. Um, at the beginning of this year, he launched what everyone agrees is the most important German speech of the year, at least in my field, people, I, I think it is. It was at the Munich Security Conference. You may remember he gave a speech to the Germans at this wide audience at the Munich Security Conference, uh, John McCain, people sitting there, um, that Germany should, should we say, get over it, get over the past, not like assured, but take the responsibility from it and become a responsible partner with Britain, France, America in managing international conflicts. It was a little on the edge of controversy because of this German tradition, post-war tradition of pacifism. And it was a very good, powerful speech so if you think about tactics and strategy for him, very interesting. If, if he really wants to move a few freedom, international responsibility, if he wants to move big, big issues forward, he's so far done very well. With, for his speechwriter, I sometimes think the speechwriter has to be aware of the, the weaknesses of the person as well. And I think with Gout, it's that preacherly personality. There is a narcissism, because I do try to follow him around the way Brian is sitting in front of me, often I'm further away, but I, I like to watch them just before the speech, just after the speech. And with him, there is a lot of preening. He likes afterwards to be, especially by ladies, he's, he's, he's always accompanied by his partner, he's not married to her, which is very interesting, but he likes that feedback. And there is, he is a little bit of a, I would say, a vain person. And I think in that role, if he gets, if the speechwriter or he, you know, gets carried away a little bit too far, then for gout, that'll, that'll all go south, because he's really at the edge of what the president of Germany in that world can do at the moment. But I would say, oh, that's, that's, that's a debate point. Is, it, is he a good speaker or not? I, I would uh, tentatively argue yes. But now let's go to Merkel, who is, I think, the most interesting, because I know the, she is the first German chancellor who's a sort of reverse sex symbol. But I mean, my editor-in-chief, for example, who travels around the world to conferences and meets with world leaders, he was in Berlin the other day with me, and, and I was surprised um, that he said, uh, maybe this shouldn't be tweeted now, but uh, it's good that we're not uh, you know, on YouTube right now, but um, I'm not sure he worked on this out, but he thinks Merkel is the most successful and powerful political leader in the world today. And that's quite a statement. And I've definitely noticed um, since moving here to, to Germany two years ago. You know, with Konrad Adenauer and other chancellors, occasionally it was like that. But uh, this is the first time that from California to Japan, people are fascinated by a German chancellor, by this figure of Angela Merkel. And even if they really disagree with her, because you're aware probably that Germany is being you know, under a lot of criticism, especially for the EU and economic policies right now, people really like like, sometimes love Angela Merkel. And at home, 
that is extreme. Our approval ratings are between 80 and 90 percent. I think 79 percent in one poll, but usually above 80. That is unheard of if you're in France, if you're Hollande, or, or Cameron, or Obama. Or. So uh, how does this woman do it? And um, well, it must be, you, you, you'd be um, forgiven for guessing that it must be because she's such a good speaker, right? <coughs> and as I said, I, I go to all, as many speeches by her as I can, and I think she may be the worst. She's certainly right down there <laughs> among the most dreadful speak, speakers in the German parliament and in German political life. Um, They are, now I'm going to do, I'm going to go into some detail on this, uh, and uh, at some point Richard Newman uh, uh, will, will, it'll be interesting because in a moment our talks will dovetail a little bit or overlap because I, I want to do the body language of her as well, but, but you know, I first want to describe the effect of her speeches, of her style a bit, and the best way to enter that is to quote uh, so Vigo Gysi was one, the leader of one opposition party, there are only two. The other small opposition party is the Greens. One of the leaders of that party in parliament was Anton Hofreiter. He said, um, I, and I wrote this quote down uh, because I thought it was good. Uh, we were at the press conference together. and um, Talking after Merkel in the Bundestag is the worst. I mean, he, he has long blonde hair, looked like a green, a beard, but he was just, it's the worst. Uh, every, so she talks, and then everybody is sedated, <laughs> and everybody's figuring out what she just said. <laughs> and then I have to get up and attack her. And I can't attack her, because she gives me no targets. And in fact, that is what she does. She gives nobody targets. Uh, let me go into a little bit, uh, just so you don't think I'm making it up. Um, there's a... And uh, Spiegel, a journalist uh, who just wrote a book, pretty good, Alternative Lists, it's a word she, uh, Merkel coined, Alternative Lists, Germany, the Germans, Merkel, and the end of politics. And he <coughs> analyzes this as well. Because you see, everyone except the German public is annoyed by this. The journalists like me were annoyed by this Merkel style. And, and he's analyzed her language, and he says it's a numb and numbing language. It lulls people. She does exactly the opposite of, I think, what all of you try to do in your day jobs. She has technocratic, often bureaucratic phrases, convoluted sentences. For instance, I know this when I'm trying to take notes. And I, there's two things when I, I look in my notebook. At some point, I usually give up. But the first effect is I do also get sedated. I really try because I'm as a journalist. I'm afraid that the FT or the journalist, someone gets the, the thing for the you know Greece out of the euro and I missed it or something. No, <laughs> <laughs> I stay with her and I can't. There's nothing. There's nothing. Uh, afterwards, I go through. But maybe I wrote a page uh, at the beginning. I tried phrases, then just words, and there's nothing there. I've heard it all before. It's all time. And the funny thing is, in Germany, among journalists, there's a unter eins, unter zwei, unter drei, under one, under two, under three. There's a system of on the record, off the record, deep off the record. She speaks exactly the same, under one, under two, under three. It's not like when you go off the record that there's anything different. <laughs> is she a boring, technocratic person, I think, is, is the question. And obviously, obviously, the answer is no. And uh, if you go, I think, way, way back in her career, more than eight years back, 
she was maybe interesting as a speaker as well. But um, I, uh, am, I don't know her privately, but I know people who know her privately. And in person, at her dinner parties, she lives, by the way, in Berlin, in a small flat right across from the Pergamon Museum. Um, she gives very, like, hilarious dinner parties. She cooks, and she entertains everyone because she's one of the wittiest, smartest, most intelligent, but also in a British irony way, uh, funniest people in Germany. That's probably not a high standard, but, but she, <laughs> she, she could be with Graham and get dinner party and steal the show. <laughs> in particular, she does an amazing uh, imitation of politicians or other public figures. She imitates people very well. Well, so this, this per she has this person, so obviously she must have at some point taken a tactical strategic decision to censor herself, to not let that out, to create a different persona. And um, well, at this point, I mean, there's it's, it's no particular order to this, but now, uh, uh, Richard, I, I look forward to maybe uh, you later catching me and saying what your impression is, but I, I want to do a bit of, of her body language. And I want to, there was a, a picture during the election campaign uh, there was a, a, in a newspaper, a picture analysis or on a website. It was not a video, but just no words, just photos contrasting her uh, challenger. The name was Pierre Steinbrück, sort of a traditional social democratic macho type, uh, with Merkel in their speaking. And so here is uh, a lot of this, uh, uh, Richard, will sound familiar from what we saw earlier, but. So Steinbrück would lean into the podium often, which is sort of, I think, a, an alpha male, take possession, make yourself large. And then a lot of, so just imagine in the pictures, no sound. <laughs> so the, the, so Pash Steinbrück, um, so finger stabbing. If you, if, if you, I went to his speeches as well. Crystal clear and very funny. He was on the attack. Clear phrases, clear messages. He's delivering a point, and he may, might stab with the finger. But I think people may, may not enjoy that. But he didn't have the benefit of, of, of knowing Richard. But um, then here's this cutting. He's cutting. He was trying to cut society into, you know, people who were happy with Merkel. But no, no. You know, a lot of you are probably unhappy. You're not rich enough, or something like that. A lot of sweeping away of maybe sort of a much or sweeping away opposition, or you know, it was this. Well, but the point, the interest really is Merkel's body language. So first of all, um, let me get rid of these cards. It always starts and with the wrongs. You all know the wrongs, and this is, I think, a variation on the what I didn't know, but, but the BBC thing maybe. <laughs> but, um, I've heard her say that this is, she worked this out scientifically. She's a physicist. <laughs> shoulders back. Because she was also trying to confront that problem as what to do with the hands. And I think she tried all. But so then she worked with the symmetrical rhombus. So this is the default. And then there's not, none of this, Richard, none of this. But it's a little, is this shifting? And then this. And this goes on forever. And this is how they <laughs> And this is the sedating. Because you're probably 
get the car already. But uh, what's going on there? And I think, first of all, left to right, shifting, turning left and right, and she's weighing. There's this against that, that against this. It's complicated, you see? You've got to know that, this, and then shoveling. She's bringing people in toward her. And that's what she is. That, that is her message of all her speaking. Is what, what, from her point of view, what is she trying to do? Is she trying to deliver clear phrases, clear messages? No, she is the message. She's trying to take the contrasts out of positions, parties, ideologies, people, so that you can no longer tell differences. Left, right, who's in this Greece. She chops it finely, and that's the, this way. You see, it's all so complex. Gysi, Steinbrück, these, these other guys, they make it simple, they're clear. No, no, it's more complicated. Don't trust these guys. I'm, I'm solving this, it's so complicated. And, and then she shovels them in. And she shovels them in, she brings them together. And that's the style of German politics. At the end, you have an election, you fight. At the end, everyone meets around Merkel. So she makes things, I think, intentionally unexciting, intentionally hard to follow. I think she wants, whereas often in speeches you try to clarify something, I think she often likes to make it more confusing. <laughs> because at the end of the day, if you're confused, you've got to come to mommy. <laughs> that's the stereotype. That's the stereotype. Sorry, not stereotype. The archetype in storytelling, because you know, you, you, you talk a lot about storytelling. In her speeches, there's no plot, character, etc. But there is a story because I think she is the archetype. She's the reassurer, the nurturer, mom. It's a complex world. It's confusing. Come home to me. <laughs> and, and it works fantastically, fantastically well for her. Now, uh, I think at that point, I might just stop, but. Um, it, it, so we had these, these four persons, and we could analyze, you can always, you know, even your bosses, you're, you're speaking maybe, you know, you're writing a speech for someone in the ministry, but also for someone who wants to get ahead in his own career, and a year from now he may not be at the ministry. What is the tactics and the strategy for each of the, the people who's giving the speeches you write? And so, for instance, for Gizi, I don't know, because I think strategically it'd be like a Hannibal, he's winning the battles and failing because the left party is going nowhere. They're slowly dying away. It's mostly aging East Germans who are in his head. Um, on the other hand, Gysi himself is having a great time. Uh, Gabriel is the real question. How is he going to play this um, as a speaker? And he's incredibly gifted. I, I used to not take him so seriously. I, I think, really, he's, he's quite a serious contender. Gauck, I said, is, I think, the most interesting speaker of all German presidents post-war. But with this, but I'm almost waiting for him to fall off the edge. And then Merkel is the real phenomenon, because she has turned everything upside down with that method. And I, I guess, for speechwriters, they must all be in on this, you know? They must be in on this, not in a small way, but in a big way. And I always wonder, does Merkel, did Merkel sit down with her speechwriters and say, you know, did she make this explicit? So you're going to make me mommy, you're going to make it confusing, you're going to make it boring. Or, or do they just, but somehow this is what it is. And I wouldn't put it past her that she edits or writes some of the speeches herself. 
but it's about these subordinating some goals to other goals, or some, you know, a quick victory to a longer victory. Uh, she gives other people rhetorical victories all the time, and I think she has that perfect sense of aligning the tactics and the strategy so that she doesn't win the battles, but she wins the war. Thank you.